How do the Old and New Testaments relate to one another, and what's the relationship between the biblical covenants? How does Israel relate to the church? Well, here to enlighten us about four positions on these matters is Brent Parker, the co-editor of this new book from IVP into Varsity Press America called Covenantal and Dispensational Theologies, Four Views on the Continuity of Scripture. Brent is assistant editor of the Southern Baptist Journal of Theology and the co-editor of Progressive Covenantalism, charting a course between dispensational and covenantal theologies. And Brent joins me now from the States. Hi, how are you? I am doing well, and I'm glad to be joining you. And I'm, I'm also, I'll say, uh, glad to be discussing these matters with a, uh, with a different audience. Often here in the United in the United States, uh, the the covenantal dispensational uh, views are uh, vigorously debated. I don't get the sense uh, so much of that in the United Kingdom, or in Australia or in New Zealand. But uh, but I know these are, uh, are. important for uh, for all Christians, regardless. And, uh, yeah. That's right. And I'm I'm doing this podcast for a popular audience, so we need to define our terms, sir, if we may, because mm. people are going to say, "What is covenantal theology and what is dispensational theology?" But before we come to that, can I just ask you, who are the four contributors to the book? Yes, uh, my co-editor and I, we we wanted to get uh, some of the, the the biggest names that articulate these views. And so, uh, for covenant theology, which is uh, the more refor- traditionally reformed position, we had Michael Horton of Westminster Seminary in California, and, and Doctor. Horton is well known through his publications, Introducing Covenant Theology. He has a significant systematic theology uh, on, what is it, Pilgrims on the Way, um, a systematic theology. So he represents the view that it has the most continuity, covenant theology. For progressive covenantalism, and, and again, this is a sort of, it's been formulated in more recent days, but uh, Stephen Wellam of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary represents and presents this uh, view. He was the co-author with uh, Dr. Peter Gentry of a book called Kingdom Through Covenant, and it's now in its second edition through Crossway, and he's been articulating uh, this view uh, not just there, but in, in other works. The two dispensational views, now these views would have more discontinuity, uh, were represented by the progressive dispensational view. Daryl Bach of Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Daryl Bach is a very well-known New Testament scholar, uh, not just here in the United States. I, I think a lot of his works would be known uh, even to a wider scholarly audience. Uh, he's written a lot on uh, not just his commentaries, he has a big, big commentaries on Luke and Acts. Mm. He's done he's done other books on uh, messianic themes uh, or the Messiah, and so he's a well-known New Testament scholar. And then, lastly, the more traditional dispensational view is presented by Dr. Mark Snowberger of Detroit Baptist Theological seminary. And he's a, I believe, a a systematic apologetics professor at Detroit uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. He had had written some articles, but uh, we thought he would give a a very good uh, representation of the more traditional dispensational view. Go ahead. Sorry. No, we should point out that this book is a conversation between four different theologians, isn't it? And then there's you and Richard J. Lucas. 
who are the editors. Am I right? That's right. That's mm. right. So in this one, yeah, we we uh, we're trying to play referee uh, and trying to have a. We're editing uh, for your audience that doesn't know the IVP Spectrum a multi-view books. Uh, this is a series where you're right. It's 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 uh, views and counter views presented. So you, there's a book. Uh, what the three three views on the atonement. Uh, there's there's views on you know providence and evil. Uh, there, there's a whole host of five views on hermeneutics. So the, the Spectrum series, it's a well-known series uh, that that you hopefully see the best representative of each view. And then the, uh, the authors, in the end, they write a response essay to the other essays yep. in the book. Okay, well, that's those are the contributors. Now, let's try and come and break this down for our audience because people will be sitting there thinking, what to cover into all the audience of this? Believe me. So, many of us, I suppose, have grown up in the church and we will have been exposed weekly to either one of these positions without probably really ever knowing it. So, what's the difference? in layman's terms, uh, very simple terms, between covenantal and dispensational theology. And how have we ended up with two, let's not even get into the progressive end yet, brother, Mm. but how have we ended up with these two completely different views of Scripture? Because this is what we're talking about, how to interpret the Bible, isn't it? And there's, there's of course, with this a lot of history, but to to boil it down, what these views are getting at are in terms of how you put the whole Bible together. How do you understand it? Now, where it shows up is, uh, and it's not just here, but where it shows up is your understanding between Israel, Old Testament Israel, and the church in the New Testament. So for your audience, the covenant theology view, this is going to be mostly represented by Presbyterianism, Christian Reformed churches. Uh, There's uh, Dutch Reformed churches. I was part of one in in high school, uh, and these these views are going to see more of a uh, a continuity, a direct line from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and so that the church is in some ways uh, the fulfillment of Israel, and very much looks like Israel as a covenant community. For dispensationalism. For your audience, and since maybe for, since we're talking on a more popular level, this view, unfortunately, has become popular through movies, such and and also novels. And so, if you're thinking of the Left Behind series, this was really big, at least here in the United States. I, I don't too. know if it was here too. Uh, yes. Well, there in news, but mm. but this idea of uh, a pre-tribulational rapture, the church is distinct from Israel, so that uh, in some sense, the church has to be raptured away, so that God's promises to Israel, the restoration promises in the Old Testament, have to be fulfilled. And so this is a view of more discontinuity. Uh, it's fairly popular here in the United States. And so you could see then that that would be a, a, a big difference. Now, these things are um, secondary or maybe even tertiary issues. I guess I'll illustrate this by the late R.C. Sproul, covenant theologian, was had a a deep friendship with John MacArthur at Grace Community Church in in Southern California, and John MacArthur is a is a significant 
dispensational pastor, and yet they were united on the gospel issues. So these these are, um, you know, uh, more secondary issues, tertiary issues, but they are important because they do they do show up in terms of how much significance we might give to Old Testament prophecies and eschatology. So the last things. Where I grew up in California, there was a, a significant, I mean, they, the churches would do conferences with uh, Left Behind Jenkins and um, Tim LaHaye. I think he's passed away now, but they would have other conferences that focus a lot on, on prophecy and end times. And you just don't see that in, in Presbyterian churches uh, or, or um, Reformed churches so much because they're in their uh, scheme with the, the continuity between the Old and te- New Testament. Yes, there's change and development, but in a sense, the, uh, the covenant community is, is the same and, uh, and the church is, um, is the people of God. And, uh, and so, yeah, so there's going to be a lot of some different emphases when, when it comes to how you understand the church, infant baptism, to uh, end time issues and eschatology. What we were focused on, though, in this this book is we wanted to get more to the fundamental issues of how you interpret and put together the whole storyline of the Bible. And and that, so, in other words, Brent, what I was I mean, I, these issues show up in terms of how you understand the church and eschatology. And we wanted to back up, though, and show more fundamentally these are these are differences that show up in the doing of biblical theology. How you understand the storyline of the Bible, how you understand the unfolding of the covenants specifically. And then why the we have these differences that, I mean, it's not just denominations, but you have whole seminaries that are uh, part of their confessional statement is either covenantal or, or dispensational. And, um, and so it, it is a, uh, it can be, unfortunately, a dividing line in evangelical. Yes, as someone who's preached quite a bit in New Zealand and overseas, when I came home to New Zealand and was asked to preach, my background is... <laughs> a reformed Anglican, uh, and uh, I thought this was going to be interesting. I had, a, I had a lot of discussions with folk who were just puzzled by the kind of stuff I was saying, you know, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to try and deal with these issues and explain to people because this, the dispensation of you is so fixed in many, in many people's minds through the media, through television, through mm-hmm. Christian literature. So I want to come on now and unpack, if I may, a, a bit more about the two positions, and then we'll get you to explain sure. the progressive views of these. So you mentioned the covenants. Now, let's back right up, Brendan, and can you tell us, please, what is a covenant? Why do covenant theologians make such a big thing about covenant and covenants? And how do they work in Scripture? Well, yes, and, <laughs> and briefly course, and simply. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and unfortunately, I would covenant. Even the idea, the notion of covenant is a debated idea in terms of how you define it. But usually, we understand a um, a covenant in terms of of promises, and particularly, we're talking about divine human covenants where God makes promises. They're typically sealed with an oath. Uh, there's usually stipulations of some sort on the human uh, covenant partner. Uh, sometimes uh, they seem to be, there, there's not as much in terms of stipulations. They, But uh, so be, even the idea of covenant, but I would just say for your audience, uh, especially for those uh, who are married, marriage is a covenant. 
I know nowadays that marriage is thought of as a contract, but we shouldn't think this way. Uh, marriage is an oath of, uh, of, of promises. Uh, you, you seal it by uh, putting a wedding band on your, on your covenant partner, now your spouse, and you seal it with an, with an oath. And so that's, that is what a, um, in, in terms of um, everyday, uh, uh, just Christians just thinking about what is, what is a covenant? Think of the marriage ceremony where you make solemn promises and oaths to your, to your spouse. And these are promises that are to be fulfilled unto death, right? So that's, that's at least um, much more could be said about covenant and um, how to define. Um, it is, a, you know, again, a, a topic that is debated. Now you also asked, did you ask which, co- which um, covenants then uh, in the storyline of the Bible? Oh, we can do are, those. Are there? Like. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I hadn't specifically mentioned that, but we might as well deal with those while we're <laughs> right. Right. Well, the first explicit covenant in the Bible is, of course, the covenant with Noah uh, in Genesis nine. And already, right here, uh, we not with Noah per se, but right here is then where we have already the debate: Is there a covenant with with Adam with creation? in Genesis 1 through 3. And naturally, those on more on the covenantal side of things will say, yes, uh, absolutely. And in fact, the covenant with Noah, with the promise to be fruitful and multiply, there's the promises God makes there seems to recapitulate the situation with Adam. Uh, the dispensational theologians would, would either deny a covenant with creation or with Adam or minimize it. And then as you go through the storyline of scripture, a, a significant covenant is the covenant with Abraham. God promises him uh, land, uh, seed. God promises Abraham that he will bless all the families of the earth. And so there you have uh, another uh, significant divine human covenant in the Bible. And with uh, Genesis, I would say Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. And then, of course, with the nation of Israel, you have the Mosaic Covenant. Sometimes it's called the, uh, the Covenant at Sinai or the Sinaitic Covenant. The New Testament seems to refer to it as the Old Covenant. And uh, the Mosaic Covenant then is made uh, with Israel uh, with, through the mediation of Moses. Uh, and that's where you have a lot of the law covenant uh, stipulations, such as the Ten Commandments. And then... Uh, the two other um, significant covenants as you move through the storyline of scripture are the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, where God promises an everlasting dynasty, uh, that there would always be a Davidic king to reign on the throne. Uh, and then you have the new covenant, which is prophesied in especially Jeremiah 31, but it's also in Ezekiel. It's in Isaiah. And of course, Jesus says in the New Testament, this is the covenant. This is the new covenant of my blood when he instant at the last supper. And so those are the um, those are the major uh, those are the major covenants uh, in the in the biblical storyline. In what ways, though, do we're still on the covenants and the covenantal, but in what ways do covenantal theologians see these covenants and covenant as the whole architectural structure underlying the Bible? Because that's really what we're talking about, isn't it? So it's, right. I think of it in terms of architecture, that the, the covenants, right. old and new covenant the covenants are the form, the whole architecture of the Bible. Is mm-hmm. that correct? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So covenant, Covenant theologians of which um, Michael Horton is a uh, great representation 
Foundation, uh, another one, uh, uh, JV Fesco. Uh, there's there's many others. Guy Waters, Guy Waters. But what these uh, these gentlemen are really promulgating uh, the out of the uh, Protestant Reformation, especially the out of the line of uh, John Calvin, an understanding of the architecture of the Bible in terms of three central covenants: the covenant of redemption which is in eternity past where God the Father, uh, his, his plan that he would save a people in Jesus Christ. And so there's the, the, the covenant of redemption. That one doesn't receive as much attention in our book. I do mention it in the introduction. But in, in terms of the outworking of the covenant of redemption, this is where now we just did a quick overview of the biblical covenants. Uh, the covenant theologians would then say that there is a, a covenant of works in Genesis uh, 1 through 3, uh, whereby Adam is in a probationary period where if he, is, if he obeys God, he would be confirmed in life to have eternal life. But if he disobeys, then as it says in um, Genesis uh, 2.17, it's death. And of course, we know that Adam does sin in this way. And what's important here with the covenant views uh, is that Adam is a federal head. That is, he's a covenant head. He's a representative of all humanity. And so when he sinned, he's not just then the, uh, the biological ancestor of all people. He is the covenant head, the federal head, so that when Adam sins, he plunges the whole human race with him. And so this would be a, a it's called sometimes a covenant of um, covenant of works, creation covenant. There's some other um, different ways uh, throughout the Reformed tradition, how they may hmm. have uh, discussed that. And then, and then with Genesis 3.15, the promise of an offspring that would crush the head of the serpent is where we see the start. This is according to covenant theology view. This is where we would see the start of the covenant of grace. And there, and then, and there, uh, the argument would be that all of the the subsequent covenants that happen later on in redemptive history. So, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, even the Mosaic covenant although there's some debate, Davidic covenant and new covenant, these are all administrations of the one covenant of grace. And so the substance is the, of the covenant of grace is this, this promise uh, that God would, uh, well, would send a, a seed of a woman, a, a Messiah, who would overcome the curse, crush the head of the serpent. And so, um, so that's where the, um, the covenant view, and, and I'll just say, uh, Brent, that, that with the covenant of grace from Genesis 3.15, really throughout then the rest of the Bible, you can kind of see then why this is more of a system of continuity. You're going to see more continuity between Old Testament as it comes over into the New Covenant. And, and that's why uh, in terms of today, in, at least in more academic circles, there's a lot of discussion of biblical theology. And a lot of people point back to a, a well-known Presbyterian, a Princeton theologian by the name of Gerhardus Voss. And as a covenant theologian, he, he uh, strongly emphasized a, a unified canon, and he did it through, of course, covenant of works, covenant of grace, through a covenantal reformed lens. 
And uh, I think for that, I'll just say for that, I think evangelicals should be uh, grateful. Um, yes, we, we need to move on to the dispensationalists. But just, sure, just before sure. I do, just before I do, uh, mm -hmm. you mentioned that we see more continuity than discontinuity. And that's true mm -hmm. with the continuity of covenantal signs, isn't it, in that system? So the, right. the connection between circumcision and baptism, which some of us find a bit strange. But. Well, that, that's right. Covenant theologians would see through the Abrahamic covenant, uh, right, that the, the, the promise to Abraham and to his, uh, and to his uh, family, his offspring, and then the, the sign of that covenant was, uh, was circumcision. And then the, the argument would be that the family is uh, throughout the, uh, the covenants is uh, maintained so that when you get to the new covenant and you have baptism uh whether it's uh usually covenant theologians may argue for the baptism of households or but it goes back really to uh to abraham and that the promise that the sign there of baptizing infants including infants into the covenant community that 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 then continues the only difference of course now is instead of just the males which is what circumcision now of course females are are included in the uh the covenant of grace through uh through infant baptism yes right. so that's why we end up with with baptism of babies which causes uh, folk, particularly in some of the the Baptists and Pentecostal ends of the church, concern, and this is but this is important to understand where all this comes from, because I'm often asked, you know, why do you baptize children, uh, very small infants, and so now, okay, so that's the covenantal position. So now, why do dispensationalists then traditionally why have they not believed that the covenant is the basis? for the biblical story. Yeah, so dispensationalists, well, as their system is called, they, they go by dispensations, which are um, an economy or an arrangement uh, that God has made. And the dispensationalists, they, they really do differ on how many dispensations there are. And, but nonetheless, it does, it does kind of overlap with, with uh, how you understand the covenants though. But they would stress, for example, we were just talking about the Abrahamic covenant in regards to uh, circumcision. Uh, for dispensationalists, it's the promise of land to Abraham and his uh, offspring, the nation of Israel, that receives um, significance. But yeah, just but uh, still just to, um, to back up is that they would divide, I think, the storyline of Scripture more in terms of these dispensations, which again, some of them do overlap with the biblical covenants, uh, but, they, but that is still a, a slightly different understanding of how you... Um, you read the you Bible. Know, yeah, yeah, you, yep. you exactly. You, you, you yep. read the Bible. And there is more of an emphasis on, um, there seems to be a very much a literal, maybe even a literalistic interpretation in dispensational circles. And so some of the covenants are taken as very uh, unconditional and, and, and that they must be fulfilled specifically in that manner. And so if you have promises to Israel, such as uh, the the land promise of Palestine, restoration promises of Israel, and if those aren't uh, literally fulfilled uh, in that in that way, then uh, they would say that there's something very wrong with your hermeneutic, with your interpretation, and so 
they posit then that these things have to occur in the future. Yes, and, hence the, old, uh, the whole in, end times theology that we've been talking that, about. That, that, that's right. So in the, in the right. if I can call it, am I right in thinking the dispensational view, it, it's more recent view, isn't it, overall than the other, other system? But it does go back a long way, though, the dispensational view, I think I remember reading. Yeah, there's there. I'll be, we'll have to wait and see. I know there's some dispensational scholars that are that are working on presenting, you know, their understanding of church history and the development of dispensational theology. Usually, the view is um, goes back to John Nelson Darby in, around the 1840s, uh, Plymouth Brethren in the United in in Great Britain, and then it spilled over in uh, in the United States and was wildly popular popular in the United States. The, the Schofield, Schofield reference yeah. Bible was a, was a big hit. This would be around, this would be around the, the uh, late 1800s and early 1900s, the Schofield reference Bible. Uh, I believe that had uh, seven, seven dispensations in, in terms of how the, the, the storyline was, was broken down. Uh, but then uh, since the eighties the or so, 1980s or so, uh, you've seen the rise of progressive dispensationalism. There's been some modifications uh, to the view. Uh, I believe even the, the newer re, uh, Schofield reference Bible is, uh, it has some significant changes uh, that they definitely wanted to make clear in the newer Schofield reference Bible that Old Testament saints were saved by grace alone and faith by faith alone. Yeah. Uh, because that was a, a subject, I think, for earlier earlier dispensationalists, uh, that there was some um, some questions about in terms of how were Old Testament saints saved in a different way than uh, New Testament saints, and so that yeah, since but yeah, I would say yeah, around the eighteen, it seems like right now around the eighteen forties. Now, I do think some dispensational scholars will say that they're they have a their historical pedigree goes back. Uh, <laughs> Uh, further. In terms of the emphasis on covenant, though, I think that can be shown to go back all the way to Irenaeus and the early oh, It goes right church. back to the very, very early yeah. church. Yeah, no, no question. Yeah, an emphasis. Yeah. yeah. And then, but more of the, the, the covenant of works, covenant of grace, uh, though, I think that does seem to be out of the, uh, the Protestant Reformation, the Reformed Scholastics, and so yep. on. Okay, we've got to wrap up shortly, <clears> but <throat> we've talked about so that's covenantal theology, dispensational theology, progressive dispensationalism. How have the covenantal theologians progressed? What is progressive covenantalism then? Well, pro progressive covenantalism. So one thing to be to be clear is, while progressive dispensationalists, it while that is a progressive form of dispensationalism, and. Uh, and you have the strong Israel church distinction in progressive dispensationalism. The progressive and progressive dispensationalism, that is the dispensationalists, that's not the same for progressive covenantalism to covenant theology. And what I mean by that is progressive covenantalists, uh, as I said, St Steve Wellam, uh, this is actually the view uh, I subscribe to, but instead of using covenant of works and the covenant of grace framework, this argument is that the covenants beginning with Adam, so there is a covenant with Adam, covenant of creation, that the covenants form the backbone of the biblical storyline. And so then the argument that progressive covenantalists are making is that we need to understand each 
each covenant within its own context, its own, and its and then its own redemptive historical place in the in the storyline in the canon, and then understand how it relates to the covenants before and after, and uh, where this will will show up is then this there will be a, a difference then on the 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 baptism question. They would say they would argue more for the new covenant as being the the culmination and fulfillment of the other covenants so that when Christ comes, yes, there's fulfillment. Uh, there's a, at least an initial fulfillment of the land promise, which is now the entire earth and will eventually be the new creation that that stands against dispensational thought, but that also the new covenant community, there has been a change in the new covenant community, the church, and that all will know the Lord. And so it is a regenerate community. And so the progressive covenantal view, uh, if um, any of your um, listeners are familiar with Reformed Baptist thought, such as something called 16, if you haven't heard of 1689 federalism, don't worry about it. But if any of your listeners have heard of more Reformed Baptist thought, we have have uh, quite a few Reformed Baptists in New Zealand, quite a few. Yes, yes. The progressive covenantal view is actually it's it's fairly similar to to that view with 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 some differences, especially over the understanding of the Mosaic covenant. Another difference with progressive covenantalism over a covenant theology, typically the Mosaic or uh, covenant at Sinai is broken up into moral, civil, and ceremonial law. And when you get over to the new, in the, into the into the New Testament, the argument is uh, for most. Uh, Presbyterians would be that the moral law continues. Progressive covenantalists, uh, they don't deny, of course, moral law. Uh, they're, not, uh, they're not antinomians, but that they would say that the, that the Mosaic law covenant is a package. It's a, it's a unified covenant, and it is fully fulfilled in the new. And so then for ethics, they would argue going back to more towards the creation covenant and, and seeing how God's purposes and, and moral, uh, I mean, the, the Ten Commandments, of course, reveal God's uh, moral law, but where then the difference comes in is the Sabbath. And progressive covenantalists would be non-Sabbatarian. Uh, they would argue that um, Sabbath rest has been, um, initially, has been fulfilled, initially fulfilled in, in Christ. And so there's then, then some, you know, that that's similar, very similar to what D.A. Carson and, and, and others argue in regard to the Sabbath. And so, so yeah, there's some, there's some differences then in how, uh, again, how you understand even uh, an individual covenant like the, like mm. the Mosaic Law covenant for the life of the church. Mm. Brent, we've got to wrap up. I would love to talk to you longer about this. It is a fascinating subject. And if you want to get more into these positions and find out what your church is teaching, what your denomination is teaching, where it's going, there's a lot of history behind all this. It's absolutely fascinating. It's very rich. It goes back many centuries. The book is from IVP America, InterVarsity Press, Covenantal and Dispensational Theologies, Four Views on the Continuity of Scripture, and the editor's you're holding it up. This is a, we're an audio-only podcast, brother. So oh, okay. you see it. It's got a beautiful cover, very very elegant cover, and the uh, Brent Parker is one of the editors, and the other one is Richard J. Lucas. And as I wrap up, I need to say thank you to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor uh, this podcast. 
and who take care of things behind the scenes. So, um, Brent, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating. Yes, and I, I hope, uh, I mean, uh, this isn't a book that's just written for um, scholars or pastors. No, not at all. Um, and that's what we're trying to uh, communicate. That anyone, yeah. who wants to, anyone who wants to get to know their Bible better and think about how we interpret Scripture, and, and to understand the history behind these these different positions, it's a great book. I recommend yeah. it. Thank you so much, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.